Take your Bible, please, and meet me in the book of Acts, chapter 10. The book of Acts, chapter 10. I want to begin this morning with a story, uh, a story about a friend I worked with years ago whose testimony of faith uh, has always spoken to me. Uh, life has taken us in different directions, and he and I have consequently grown distant over the years, but I still remember him with fondness, and I, I still consider him a dear brother in the Lord, and I love this story of how he came to faith in God. And I thought about him and his story this week. Raised as a uh, Jehovah's Witness, he came to the Lord in his uh, late teens through the slow realization that something significant was lacking in his life and in his uh, Jehovah's Witness upbringing. Uh, he couldn't put his finger on precisely what it was, but instinctively he knew that the answers to life's bigger questions weren't being answered uh, by that particular worldview, at least not to his satisfaction. So he kept searching, although, uh, as he often admitted, he didn't know exactly uh, what he was searching for, or, or where to look. And whenever he shared his testimony, he would talk about the night of his surrender to God. It was a clear night, as he describes it, the kind that reveals uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of seemingly never-before-seen stars and constellations that come out from hiding on only the rarest of times. As he peered into the vastness of that night sky that day, he was struck by the magnitude of it all and the relative uh, smallness of his place in the universe. Maybe you've had a similar experience. Though young, he was also struck by a growing sense of his own human dignity and significance. Small when compared to creation, yes, but no less significant in the eyes of the Creator. He began to pray that evening, which surprised even him. He wasn't sure how to pray or even to whom, but that night in those moments, the kind of moments that seem Suspended in time, he began talking to the heavens, giving, giving voice to the yearnings within. And as he tells it, he said something like this. I know someone created all of this. Someone gave life to life itself. Someone gave me life and knows everything about me. And as he peered into the sky, and God, if that someone is you, I want to know you and live my life for you. 
And with that, a divine plan already set in motion was realized in my friend's heart. Within a matter of days, not more than a week or two, he heard about Jesus and the gift of life found in Jesus, and he entrusted his life to Jesus and was forever restored to God. I remembered this as I read through Acts 10 this week. Because in this chapter, we're introduced to a man named Cornelius. And Cornelius, as we will see, was searching for answers, much like my friend was many years ago. And like my friend, God met Cornelius right where he was in life, and and God saved him. And in so doing, the gospel of Jesus Christ crossed a line it hadn't before. Up to this point, it had gone to the Jews primarily and to the Samaritans who were half Jewish. But with the conversion of Cornelius, the good news of the gospel now extended into non-Jewish hearts. Therefore, because God is not partial and his love reaches the world, peace through Jesus Christ is available to all people everywhere. I want to read this with you, the entire chapter. We're going to take the entire chapter, the whole scene at once. Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household Gave, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, that's 3 p.m. our time, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to Peter, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. 
Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied them. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted it up, saying, Stand up, I too am but a man. And he talked with him. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that, what, that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for you, I came without objection I ask then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging by the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. 
the word of the Lord. Father, we want to thank you for our time in in, uh, the scripture this morning. And as we so often do, we would just ask that you would enable our hearing of it and uh, the receptivity of our hearts. May we be receptive and open to what you have for us this morning so that we might be a changed people. God, would you please come and just minister to each person sitting in, in these chairs? Would you, O Holy Spirit, would you walk down every aisle and down each row and touch each life and speak good into each soul? And would you give us the faith to respond by entrusting all that we are to all that Jesus is for our good and for your eternal glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. Cornelius was a military man, uh, a centurion, which means he was in charge of one regiment of 100 soldiers. Uh, His group was part of the Italian cohort, which sounds very cool, Uh, kind of like special ops. And he was a devout, God-fearing man, a religious man. Though not Jewish, he was well-respected by the Jews, as we read in verse 22, in part because it seems that uh, Cornelius was not only sympathetic to Judaism, but also a practicing participant. Cornelius gave generously to the poor and prayed continually to God. Like my friend, on the night of his life-altering prayer, Cornelius believed in God, at least on some level, and he wanted to know God. One afternoon, he's given a vision in which an angel came to him to say, that, the, uh, that is the, uh, his prayers and his alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And I'm struck by that expression, by the visual of our prayers ascending to God. And I'm touched by this reminder that God knows us and, and God sees us and God gives ear to the cries of our hearts. And so in whatever state of care or worry or anxiety you may find yourself today, uh, I just don't want you to forget that God is listening and paying attention to you and to, uh, to the circumstances of your life. Uh, this interaction with Cornelius reveals also that, that God sees even the belief of an unbeliever as incomplete as it is and he hears even the prayers of a non-Christian not only does he see us and hear us in this way he also moves in our direction for our benefit he sends an angel to Cornelius with instruction to send for the apostle Peter clearly God cares for this man and intends to save this man through the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
And when the angel departs, Cornelius doesn't delay. He calls two servants and a soldier from his regiment. And after relaying the vision to them, he sends them to Joppa to find Peter. Meanwhile, 30 miles south in the town of Joppa, God was moving upon Peter's heart also. It was noon and Peter was praying and he too was given a vision in which he saw a large sheet covering the earth. And the four corners of this sheet appeared to touch the far reaches of the world and in the middle of this sheet were all kinds of animals and and reptiles and birds of the air, each of which was considered unclean by the Jews and unacceptable for food. And yet Peter hears a voice telling him to eat. But being the born and bred Jew he was, he fiercely refused by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. But the voice is persistent and just will not let up. What God has made clean, it says, do not call common. And this exchange occurred three times. Three times Peter was told these things and the sheet was taken up to heaven. Now, quick aside, you may recall from last week that Peter was in Joppa only because he had been summoned there to help comfort the believers in that town who were grieving the death of a woman named Tabitha, who to everyone's amazement was miraculously raised from the dead and presented alive again. And we talked last week about how making time for people and their needs, as Peter did, puts us in opportune positions to bring hope into their lives. So coming off of that experience with Tabitha, Peter is now trying to figure out the meaning of this vision when the three men from Caesarea arrive at the house and the Holy Spirit tells Peter to go to them and to go with them. Now, church, isn't it interesting how at the same time that God was preparing Cornelius to meet Peter, he was preparing Peter to meet Cornelius. And I just want us to know that the same thing still happens today. There are people in our lives today that God cares about and intends to save, much like Cornelius. And he is preparing their hearts in ways they may not even realize. And like Peter, he is preparing us as well. He is preparing you and me to be persons of influence in their lives and a voice that will speak with them about Jesus Christ. How fascinating, really, that God chooses to work through human channels like us, preparing us when we aren't even realize, we don't even realize what God is doing behind the scenes. And that's where we find Peter and Cornelius in this passage. And so the next day, Peter gets up 
And we learn from the next chapter, chapter 11, we learn that he corrals half a dozen believers to join him on the journey. And together with the three men sent by Cornelius, they make the two-day trek back to Caesarea. Upon their arrival, they discover that Cornelius has gathered friends and family. For four days, he's been anticipating Peter's arrival, and he's so hungry for God to move in his life that when Peter enters, he falls at Peter's feet and begins to worship him. Get up, says Peter. I'm just a man. And the two men from two vastly different backgrounds swap stories of their respective visions. Peter wants to know why this centurion from Caesarea has sent for him of all people, and I just love Cornelius' response. He recounts his vision for Peter, and then he says in verse 33, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that, has, that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now you talk about a ripe opportunity to share your faith. Can you imagine someone saying this to you, making this statement to you? Actually, when I tried to personalize this this week and put myself in Peter's shoes, I thought about the church. And I wondered, what if one Sunday... As I was stepping forward to preach, someone from the congregation stood up and said, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that he has commanded you. Now, on one hand, that has the potential of being a seriously awkward moment. <laughs> but how powerful would that moment be if we all approached our time together in God's Word with that level of readiness and receptivity and desire and anticipation of what God was about to say and do. Can you imagine that? And Peter, to his credit, Peter doesn't let the moment slip through his hands. And without skipping a beat, he immediately begins sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. He starts by affirming that indeed it is good news of peace and that Jesus is Lord of all. And then he, he references Jesus' baptism and earthly ministry, how Jesus was anointed by God and went about doing good and by the power of the Holy Spirit, even healing people who were oppressed by the devil. And then he talks about the cross and how Jesus 
was killed unjustly and that God raised him from the dead on the third day and he appeared to specific individuals in his resurrected state eating and drinking with them before sending them out as witnesses in the world to testify that he is the one appointed by God and all the prophets of old were were likewise pointing to Jesus said Peter, bearing witness that whoever believes in Him will be forgiven. No longer will their sin be held against them. That which severs relationship with God would be repaired and the relationship made whole. And that individual will enjoy peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Peter preaches Christ shares the gospel. Because God is not partial. Because God's love extends in all directions to all peoples. Verse 35 declares, In every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. In other words, any person, any man, woman, or child who reveres God and honors God and holds God in highest esteem and thus lives accordingly is accepted by God and and welcomed. So the question, really the question facing each one of us this morning from this text is, are you this kind of person? was Cornelius. Was Cornelius accepted by God because he was a good man doing good deeds? Was it because he was a religious man and part of a religious community and prayed all the time? Was it because... Uh, did Did it have to owe to his place of power and authority within the mighty Roman Empire? Did that impress God and make him acceptable? Or was it because he was just searching for God and he was very sincere in his quest? And of course, we know that it wasn't any of these things because none of these things can save a person from sin and the moral corruption within. So Peter's not talking about salvation by works here. In fact, in verse 43, he makes very clear the need for Christ-centered faith. Church, I want to ask you to ask yourself, on what basis... Am I accepted by God? We will all be judged one day. And Jesus is the appointed judge of both the living and the dead, meaning he has authority over all. Because God is God and we are not. We must answer to him, not the other way around. How will we be judged? By what standard? By the law. Judged according to God's law and our obedience to it. So, is my obedience to God's law sufficient to pass divine inspection? 
That, that's really the question. Consider just the Ten Commandments. Has God and only God always held that hallowed place of supreme worship and love and affection in your life? Have you ever been guilty of idolatry in any way, which means have you ever loved created things more than the Creator? Have you ever spoken about God in a flippant or empty manner or taken his name in vain? Have you kept the Sabbath without fail, resting from work one day per week as a way of trusting God to provide for your physical and material needs? Have you always honored your parents? Always? Come on. Always. What about murder or uncontrolled anger or adultery or lust or thievery or lying or covetousness and jealousy? These commandments are meant for your good and for the good of society and the world at large. And the question is simply, do you keep them unfailingly? Is there anyone here this morning who has done so perfectly? Who has obeyed God perfectly and gloried in God in this way? Would you even pass your own inspection? Much less God's. And, of course, the answer is no. Because when evaluated by this standard, no one measures up. We're all guilty. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. The Bible teaches in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we must all appear, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what has been done in this life, whether good or evil. Jesus himself said that he will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and he will repay each person according to what he has done. And then elsewhere, he spoke of this coming judgment and and he pictured it as the separation of people into two groups, those that are saved and those who aren't. And when you appear before him on that day and your life is laid bare, on what basis will you be spared from sin's penalty and gloriously saved to God? You see, we must understand the destructive nature of sin and this dreadful consequence that awaits the unrepentant sinner. Spurgeon, as only Spurgeon can, as only Spurgeon can, put it like this. 
unless you set yourself before that awful throne, that great white throne, and realize yourself as standing there to give your account, you will not fly to the Savior for mercy. Oh, I would have every unconverted person set before his or her mind the hour of his or her death, the moment of the appearance of his or her naked spirit before the tribunal of Christ, and then the resurrection and the solemnities of that great day for which all other days are made, when heaven and earth shall pass away and all things melt like dreams, and the only real thing shall be the man and his deeds and his judge and his future. Think of this. Some of you are unpardoned this morning. And as sure as you live, unless you repent, you will stand before God to receive nothing but just condemnation, condemnation irreversible and eternal. Let those who would bewitch you say what they will, but you will receive a condemnation which will thunder after you throughout ages without end to wither all your hopes, to dry up the springs of comfort within your nature and leave you in eternal desolation. I cannot talk on this topic any longer. The theme is too dreadful. But may none of you ever occur the doom, may none of you ever incur the doom of that day. May it never be that anyone who sat in the tabernacle, that's his church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. So it'd be like this. May none of you, may it never be that anyone who sat in the sanctuary of East Parkway Church, while we tried to preach the gospel and shall be driven by the whirlwind of divine justice, away from the presence of God and the glory of His holy power. May it never be. And yet Spurgeon says, and yet it will be for some of you, I'm afraid, for still you do not turn to God. You do not seek the Savior. And you are as likely as not to die in your sins. Being good isn't good enough. Cornelius was a good man, a very good man by human standards. He was caring and he was generous and he was religious. And he prayed all the time, and he had a great reputation. People loved him. But it wasn't enough. Because when measured by the standard of unfailing obedience to God, not even the best of men, can pass the test. But the good news of the Christian gospel is that God has made a way. The way of faith in Jesus Christ, the remarkably, hear this church, the remarkably good news is that our judge is also our Savior. In fact, knowledge, I think, I think 
knowledge of Christ as judge seems necessary for true acceptance of Christ as Savior. Because we will not understand, or, or until we understand the fate that awaits us in our sins, we, we probably won't turn to Christ, who alone can save us and longs to do so, and whose sacrifice upon the cross perfectly atoned for you and me. That's what Peter's getting at as he recounts Christ's life and death and, and resurrection. He's, he's getting to grace. He's getting to saving grace. He's saying that forgiveness from God comes not by working our way back into His good graces, but simply by receiving His grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. It comes by believing in Jesus, by trusting in Jesus as Savior, for to all who receive him, we're told, who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. So, do not miss this. There are two kinds of beliefs seen here. Have you spotted them? There is the kind that belief, uh, there's the kind that Cornelius displayed prior to his conversion, this broad and general belief that marks much of our world today, this broad and general belief in God, but this belief cannot save. And then there's the kind of belief that can. The, the kind that Cornelius came to understand and display, which is to trust in Jesus Christ, who took our sins upon himself so that you can be forgiven and made right. It's this kind that demonstrates true repentance and faith. No one can be saved without this kind of, of belief, but everyone, anyone and everyone who believes in this way will be. Have you moved? Have you moved from a general belief in God to that place of placing your life in the hands of Jesus Christ? And as Peter was sharing this great news, the Spirit of God descended upon the people in that place. Those Jews who had already received the Spirit were just stunned. They're absolutely amazed to see the Gentiles, the non-Jews, receiving the very same gift. Cornelius and his, and his family and friends began speaking in tongues and praising God, just like what happened in Jerusalem years prior on that great day of Pentecost. God was making very clear that the door to salvation flung wide open for all peoples from all nations and cultures and backgrounds. When those folks were baptized that day, they were baptized in the very same name of Jesus as were the Jews. The very same name we're baptized into to this very day. God is not partial. Aren't you glad that God is not partial? His steadfast love extends to the ends of the earth. 
And therefore, peace through Jesus Christ is available to all people everywhere. To every single one of us in this room. To every single one of the people you know who are outside of this room. Most of us, most of us here in this, most of us here, we're not descended from Israel. We're not Jewish. So we can relate with Cornelius in this story. And therefore, let us rejoice with him as well, because to us also God has granted repentance that leads to life. As Peter will say to his fellow Jews in Jerusalem, which we will consider next week. May God bless you as you come again to just place your trust in the Lord. Amen. And I just want to give a moment, a couple of moments of quiet here for you to just uh, respond to God and in, in just where you are in the quiet of your thoughts. And um, as, you, as we've considered God's word today, I just want you to just respond to him. Maybe you see yourself in Cornelius uh, doing good things, believing in God generally, even praying to God on occasion but empty inside, knowing that something's missing. Maybe God's spoken to you this morning and there's something that you'd want to tell him in reply. Or maybe you're like Peter this morning. You see yourself there and, uh, and God is telling you to, to move past your preconceptions, to get beyond the walls you've placed up uh, the, the walls you've built when it comes to the people in your life that God intends to reach. And so maybe there's something that God is saying to you in this regard and you'd want to respond to Him. And so let's just take a moment to quiet our hearts and talk to the Lord before we sing a closing song. Father, your word, we're told, comes to us and it will not return void. And we claim that promise this morning. So I trust, we trust that you have spoken to us and that uh, your word will have its intended effect in each of our lives. I would pray for anyone here among us who, um, who has yet to come to that place where personally they are turning from their old way of life uh, from going their own way in life and instead they're coming to turn back to you and uh, to follow you and trust you and entrust their lives to you. I'd pray for a saving faith to be exercised among some of us here this morning, men and women perhaps who have never come to that place of full surrender. And then for the rest of us, God, indeed, will you make us to be um, well-equipped servants as we go out into the world. May you equip us to be witnesses to the truth of Jesus in this uh, broken world in which we live. And would you do these things 
uh, as a way of just demonstrating your love for the world and the unfolding of your faithful, redemptive purposes. Uh, may Jesus be praised always in our lives, each one of our lives, in our life together as a church. And it's in his name we ask. Amen.